Cinema Talks with your host Tina Desiree Berg. I get nervous. So, are you nervous? Don't be nervous. You're talking to your friends. Oh, okay. So, um, talk about how you first like me. Whether it was a, as a child you became interested in martial arts and when you started studying and all that kind of good stuff. As a kid, I was really into comic books. I really liked com like Spider-Man and okay. Marvel and these great comic books. And when I was eight years old, I went to see a, like one of these airplane movies, and they had a trailer for next week's movie, and it was Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee's movie. Okay. And it was like just blew me away when I saw Bruce Lee on screen. How like old it were did you? Many people, eight years old. Eight years old. And to me, he looked like the nearest thing to a real-life superhero, you know, like a comic book superhero. And I just straight away I knew that's what I wanted to do. I just went you wanted home. to be a superhero. I wanted, to, yeah, basically, as a kid, yes, I did. I wanted to be that's like so that. That's so cute. And uh, so that's it. The next. Did you week. play Spider-Man when you were a child? <laughs> Come no, on, tell I us. Tell Bruce Lee movie. You played Bruce Lee? <laughs> I was fighting. That's great. Imaginary fights. So when did you first start martial arts training? Right away. The week, the next week, the I next found week? a class. Yeah. Oh, you're kidding. Okay. And Mongolian Kung Fu. Mongolian Kung Fu. Is that what you have a black belt in? No, I had a black belt in Taekwondo. I've done Mongolian Kung Fu for about three years. I got hooked up on Taekwondo because I found I was really flexible and so Taekwondo was a real kicking ass. Right. So it really suited me. So I went into Taekwondo. I got my black belt around 16 years old. How far did you get in the Mongolian Kung Fu? It was a weird... They didn't really have a, a def, definitive ranking system. You just um, I got to a green belt in that system, but there was only like four belts in the whole system. And I was such a young kid. When I look back now to what I was doing then, I was thinking I was useless. It was, I shouldn't have even probably got a green belt. But at the time, I did it for three years, and instructor right. became really good friends of mine. He picked me up and take me. I mean, talking eight, nine, ten, eleven years old while That's I was great. doing this. You know? okay. So we became very close, and he was just teaching me. Okay. So I got a green belt, but hey, three years to get a green belt. Most systems nowadays you get a black belt in three years. Yeah, so. I was going to say, everybody I've interviewed in the last three weeks was a black belt in a year or something. Yeah, I'm like, really? Well, Carrie's a slow learner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> something like that. A young learner. No, I mean, it's better that way. The only person that didn't say that was Richard Obago, and he said that that's silly that people, they give him. How, he's all, how could a nine-year-old have any, that, that kind of knowledge? Well, I think a lot, of it, a lot of it is commercial nowadays. Yeah. You know, it's about if you don't give a kid a belt, then he's going to stop coming to class, which means he stops paying. It's that kind of thing. I hear you. So, uh, I hear you. But uh, then when I got to, like, 16, 17, I started fighting professional kickboxing with a PKA in England. Did that for a few years. 
and I was teaching in Taekwondo at the age of 15 with another black belt. We had three schools in London. Okay. And so that was pretty much taking up all my time, but I wasn't really enjoying teaching. We were teaching five nights a week, plus plus I was training, getting ready for my, my fights. It's like I right. just thought there so was more to life. Yeah, competing kickboxing. Oh, kickboxing. Uh-huh. Wait, 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 wait. We missed a page in this, this book. How did you go from Taekwondo to kickboxing? I got disqualified from three Taekwondo tournaments. You got disqualified. Yeah, okay, for what they call why. they call it excessive combat. When we fight in England, Ex- oh, this is good excessive combat. Okay, this is really good. Movie In the taekwondo tournaments in England, it's supposed to be what they call semi-contact, continuous okay. sparring. So you can hit, but it's not supposed to be too hard. You got a little out of hand. I always felt that I reacted to what was coming at me. I never, I was never the aggressor. That was just wasn't my personality. But I remember taking some shots and coming back out of instinct and knocking. So I haven't three knocking people out. Okay. And so another coach that I was training with at the time in England called Mickey Byrne, who was a PTI, a physical training instructor in the British okay. Army, and he had taken me on as a private student. And, Spell uh, his last name for me. B Y R N E. Okay. He was a very big influence on my life. He had been, uh, like I say, a PTI in the British Army, physical training instructor. He was a boxing champion in the British okay. Army. He'd seen action in several countries. Right. And he really wasn't a martial artist. He'd never studied martial arts per he was se. A boxer. But he would look at a lot of the stuff we were doing in Taekwondo and say, this stuff's not going to help you in a real fight. And he coached me in boxing and grappling and a lot of this stuff. He'd been a bouncer in a lot of clubs in England. And when he would see me losing these fights, getting right. disqualified, he'd say, what, why are you getting disqualified? Isn't that the reason you fight, to knock somebody out? And so we made the transition to kickboxing where you can knock somebody out and, and win. it's okay, right? <laughs> Instead of lose. So I fought for the PKA in England for three years, but at that time it was a very, very young new sport. sport right? Very hard to what, get fights. What, what year was that? This was 19, 80s? early 80s. Right, early 80, 80, 81, 82, 83, okay. this, this kind of time. So it just started in England and there was no money in it. And there was rumors that if you go to America and fight, there's like hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know? So you came to America. So I said, hey, greener pastures, let's go. So I took off right after my 20th birthday. I moved to America. Did you move right to LA? No, I spoke to my um, fight promoter in England, George Cepedes at the time, who was the head of the PKA then. And I said, look, I want to go to America. I've got like $300 in US money. Where should I go? He said, wow, because he, he brings fighters over all the time. Okay. So he said, listen, if I was you, I would try Florida first. It's a little, Florida? A little less, because he used to bring fighters to Florida, and he told me some kickboxers there. Hmm. And he said, uh, the people are a little softer there, a little easier to get along with. It's not so expensive. LA is right. really tough. Yeah. So I took his advice and went to Florida. And I got hooked up with um, a guy, a teacher in Florida called John Graydon, who had this USA Karate demonstration team, quite well known in, in Florida, protege of Joe Lewis. And uh, so I trained with him for a while when I wanted to continue competing. But it's not like England, which is so small, where you can travel pretty much anywhere in a couple of hours to get to the fights. Right. Here it's like you'll have one fight in San Francisco, you'll have a fight in Texas and California. Right. It's like you got to be rich just to get from just one to get place to another. So without was, a were you still Were you doing kickboxing at this point or taekwondo? Combined. Combination, combination. of both. Yeah. 
and then I was studying, teaching, helping John. I would teach for him too, and I was part of their demonstration team. We would tour schools which was, and Florida, which was what? Which was the USA Karate demonstration. So it was team. just karate in general. There was no specific karate, discipline. Karate. It's a very eclectic term. Okay. Now, yeah, right. um, it's, it didn't uh, used to be. No, it's like there's a lot of different styles of karate. Yeah. There's hundreds of styles right. of karate and different martial arts, but. Um, they had an eclectic system where John had learned Taekwondo and Western boxing and combined it all and fought at USA Karate, which oh, is what okay. a lot of teachers do nowadays. Because martial arts is so available to us, gotcha. Oh, you know, so a lot really of people. A combination of yeah, boxing. A lot of people study a lot of different things. Like Bruce Lee was the innovator of it. Right. You used to have these people. When martial arts first came to America, it was very hard to find a school. And if you if you trained in a Japanese style, it was my way is the only way. And if you trained in a Chinese style, which there was very or few Korean, Chinese right? styles, in all Korean, very traditional. But then uh, when Bruce Lee came, he started combining everything okay. and made it this, uh, like thing. a fashionable in thing to do. And it really is the most practical thing yeah. to do. That's the philosophy that I follow myself. It makes more sense to me. You study as much as you can to broaden your knowledge right. and make a, develop a system that works for you. Right. So uh, anyway, while I was in Florida, I got involved in acting classes, and I started doing some commercials at a bit part of Miami Vice, and I like, did some extra work in Cocoon and right. <laughs> stuff like that. But then I got noticed by a producer. A producer from the Philippines saw my tape and invited me to the Philippines. Said, "You come here, I can put you in leads in movies." So that was a really attractive offer. So I went to the Philippines and I signed a two-year contract with a producer there and stayed in the Philippines for a couple of years. Did a couple of movies. Which were? Spit them out. Come on. Uh, come on, Gary. <laughs> One was called The Final Reprisal, which I really enjoyed making. Um, had a great time. That was your with first it. film, then. Yeah. The Final Reprisal. Okay. Right. It was funny because it was what they call an international movie, totally English-speaking language movie. It wasn't a local Tagalog movie, oh, okay. it was an international movie. So it was all Americans, Westerners. Um, but it was a great learning experience for me because I'd done acting class for two years in Florida, but there's a big difference in class and actually being no, on the set and doing it. You know? So it was a great learning. It weren't great movies. I enjoyed them, but they weren't great movies. And then I did another one called The Secret of King Mahis Island, which was like an Indiana Jones. The Secret of King Mahis. M-A-H-I-S. Wasn't that the bit of Hell Award winner? <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> sorry, sorry, it was sorry. so bad. It was an awful movie because the director quit That's after two weeks. The director quit after two weeks and they hired a guy. This is right directed. up there with Don Jackson, huh? Oh. But, um, you know, we're shooting all over these beautiful islands and waterfalls and places in the Philippines. I would never get to normally go to. So, yeah, I, no, you know, it's, it's a wonderful time. Absolutely. But I should point out, the film was so bad. People were walking out when it was an in-flight movie on Filipino, right? <laughs> it was an in-flight movie, they were walking, walking out. out. <laughs> yeah. Very good, huh? Good <laughs> no, anyway. You crack me up. Uh, you, you kill me, mate. I'm you kill me. I'm killing you. You're killing me, okay. <laughs> so after a couple of those, the producer wanted me to start doing some soft porn movies, and I said, forget it. You're kidding me. No, seriously. They always try to get your clothes off, whether so, you're a man or a woman. I was huh? out of there. That's good to know. <laughs> I was out of there. Well, at least they gave you two movies before they asked you to yeah, enter really. us. They don't even give me the first two. <laughs> So I moved back to the States, and I was in, I moved back. You went back to Florida? I did for a very short period of time. Okay. I, you know, it's like just doing a couple of leads gave me this real, a lot of confidence oh, and sure. just made me believe that, hey. You could do it. Yeah. That's important. Sometimes and, confidence is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Believing in yourself. That's something my acting yeah. coach made me believe in myself and my acting. I'm not the greatest actor, but um, what happened then? When did you move to L.A.? 
Yeah, it was funny. At that time in Florida, Universal Studios had just opened up down there in oh. Florida. And it was like, everyone was talking okay. about, Hollywood's coming to Florida, you got to stay here, you yeah, got to right, stay right. here. So you stayed there for a while? Uh, not, no, just a couple of months. And then uh, it was like, they cast five and unders down there. But leads right. were always oh, cast sure. out of here, right? So I'm, that's when I came out to L.A. And from here, it just sort of, it worked for me. It was slow at first, and then I did some of the smaller movies with David Huey. Was David the first person that gave you a job here in L.A.? I did some work. I did a work on a... I got Taff Hartley on a movie called Ring of Fire for PM Entertainment. Oh, was that before? And then I met with you David. You know, wait, 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 wait. We're done, but it's so, a good one. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so fortunately, I got Taff Hartley. keep this thing to myself. Getting Taff Hartley in Ring of Fire was a good move, you know, just to get your SAG card. Is oh, yeah. Everything right. one wants to get that. But then I then I met with David and I did right. uh, Capital Punishment, Full Impact, and American Street Fighter. And in 1992, I started getting. We did American Street Fighter, and then I got work on. I got some work on the Don Wilson movie Black This Fall. But Which then was I got, what? You're leaving out details, Gary. Slow down. Black This Fall. Which was what? What do you mean? What was it? Let's go back for each film. <laughs> Give me a little bit. <laughs> Well, Slow Capital down. Punishment was a good Slow time. Slow down. Okay. okay, now we need to hear about a little bit about your character, your fight sequences, yada yada. Tell us the funny okay. stories. Tell them about Carol and I getting drunk. There you go. <laughs> no. No, funny okay. stories Capital, are always good. Capital Punishment. Well, was, the best thing about Capital Punishment is working with David. I mean, I'm not trying to kiss up because you're <laughs> or whatever, but David's a wonderful guy. Yes, he is. And uh, I really had a good time working. It was the toughest movie I think I'd ever done because it was a three-week shoot, and I think I did 42 fight scenes in that movie. I heard that the director had had a, had a contract with like like Kimmy, the producer, he did. and he said something like, "This movie must have no more than 15 minutes of dialogue." <laughs> so we had 42 fights in that movie, and by the second week, he did I, have a list, by the way. Really? By the second this week, this many new scenes, this many fights, yeah, no, this many explosions. This many <laughs> so anyway, I, by the second week, I came in, I could hardly move. I was so tired. I, I said, "No more kicks, only hands." <laughs> We got through it. It was good. You know, David Carradine was in it. And it was nice to meet and work with Tadashi Yamashita. He's sort of a stable name in the industry, yeah, so right. it was a pleasure working with him. Um, so we got through and that one. Give me a funny story. There's got to be some kind of a funny story. Oh, that was embarrassing. First day David Carradine was on the set. You know, we are talking away on the I'm set. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. This is between takes. Right. And you know, I figured David Carradine has done so much work, right, that his resume must be so long. I right. mean, really, really, really long. And I was trying to think of a word to say, your resume must be like a, and something, thinking of something really long. And what came out was, your resume must be like a toilet paper, a toilet roll. <laughs> and it's, everyone on the set went quiet. And it's straight away I went, oh shit. No, you did not say that. I did. <laughs> I couldn't think of another analogy that would come out. This is Gary Daniels, the great communicator we're hearing here. So I just sort of left that the set That is the funniest quietly. thing I have ever heard in my so entire life. You must be like toilet paper. I was like, I think David had worked so hard to get David to do the... David Ewan worked so hard to get David Carradine to do the movie. And David's like ready to punch you. And right? I was like, he must have thought, I'm out of here. God, that's that was fun. Really? But, uh, <laughs> well, we got through the day.
funny. I don't think I ever. Did actually... you ever explain like what you meant by that? No, we never actually did a scene together. He was always in different scenes than me. <laughs> he was the main bad guy, but he was always in different scenes than me. Oh, that is just the funniest thing so... ever. That is so funny. It did very well for them, Capital Punishment. Oh, yeah, he made a lot of money on that. Yeah, they didn't tell me that at the time. I think one of the funniest stories about that was when it was released in the Philippines, it was released as Bloodsport 2. Oh, really? And when I was flying over to the Philippines to promote it, they took me over there. This little girl came up to me on the plane and said to me, she's got a newspaper, she says, is this you? And I've looked at it and I've gone, oh, yeah, cool, there's an ad for Bloodsport 2. Really? Where was I for that one? And and the tagline was, uh, Gary Daniels is the only kickboxer ever to defeat Jean-Claude Van Damme in the 1990 Long Beach Bloodsport tournament. No. And I'm going, what? It said that? It said it on the ad and it also said... Was this not true? Fight Van Damme, beat him in a blood blood sport tournament. A blood sport is just a movie. I didn't know. I mean, Jean Claude never really kickboxed okay. anyway professionally. It was he never kickboxed. So it was totally but, like. Uh, I know. That's and, right up there with your remake of um, Everybody Was Kung Fu Fighting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it also said Gary Dennis is listed in the Guinness Book of Records as the only man to kill a bull with one punch. <laughs> And I'm like, what is this? Who really says that? Bull. (laughs) Bull is the only true word. But what was embarrassing was when I got to the Philippines, I had to do all these talk shows, TV talk shows and radio talk shows. And the distributors, the ones who made up this tagline, were there with me all the time. And so these interviewers would say, so is it true that you defeated Jean-Claude Van Damme? And what would you say? And I'd like, I wanted to tell the the outright truth, but the distributors were there. I didn't want to make them lose face, but I couldn't lie. So I'd end up saying something like, well, you know, Jean-Claude never ever really kickboxed. Just something like that. And then they'd ask me about the bull incident. And I'd say, well, it's not really the thing I want to be remembered for when I'm dead. (laughs) But it's like, what do you do? Give us the the bull story. I got to know what this is. Well, that, it, that was it. They just made up a tagline. Did you ever like actually hit a bull in your life? I've never even been in the same. So it was entirely fabricated. There wasn't like an entirely fabricated. A Winston knocked down horses. A Winston. My teacher used to shin kick them. Yeah. Oh my god, that's hysterical. Yeah. So that was my my capital punishment story. But uh, yeah, it did. You know, it's funny because at the time that's doing good. these movies, Full Impact, Capital Punishment, American Street Fighter. It was a learning experience, Um, again, another one. But, you know, they never got distributed in the States or England or... I think Japan picked up one or two of them, but it never really got distributed in the major territories. But it was funny because, like, this year, going to Cannes, you meet all these foreign distributors that are like, oh, Gary, you're really big on video in our country and everybody... And I'm like, what? From what movies? You did full impact, you didn't get... I'm like, what? (laughs) David, wait. You know, other things were happening, as Bay mentions. At that time, I'd gone to Hong Kong. I I, I had a friend in Hong Kong called Roy Haran, who managed talent. He's worked in a lot of Hong Kong movies and written movies himself. And uh, he he invited me to Hong Kong. And he introduced me to a company uh, called Cinema City, which was very big. I think, like, maybe the second largest in Asia at that time, after Golden Harvest. Right. And... uh, they're the companies that made a lot of Charion Futs movies like A Better Tomorrow, One, Two, and Three. And they signed me up for a four-picture deal after giving them a demonstration. 
And then Roy came to America back in 91. So you did, wait, 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 rewind. You did four films in Hong no, no, no. Kong. No, no, no. you did the, do them. No, this is, let me get to this story. Okay. So right after I signed the contract with Cinema City, which I was very excited about because they were writing a script for Chai Yun Fat and myself to star together to introduce me to the Asian audience and Chai Yun right. Fat to the Western audience. So I was very excited about it. I bet. Right after signing the contract, and this was in uh, January or February of 91, Roy had come to the American film market and locked in a deal for me with Manaf and Golan to do a movie called Death Touch. So I came back to the States, and we called Cinema City and said, would you hold off shooting until we finish Death Touch? And they were very happy to do that, you know, get a, letting Gary get a bigger name. So we was in pre-production for like four or five months with Death Touch, and then Manafan pulled out like two weeks before shooting. So that movie just went to pot. So we figured, oh, well, we go back to Cinema City, and we called them, and they had gone bankrupt. So that movie, I, that year I lost, oh, no. I got and lost a lot five of work, films. you know, so... That was a tough year. They were all paying me. They all paid me down payments, so that helped. But it turned out to be a pretty tough year. So that's why I, I continued to do the movies for David when he was offering to me. I, um, Full Impact came after Capital Punishment, which was a smaller movie. There was no names in that movie. Um, but, but once again, it was a total action movie, no budget. And then the third one I did for David was uh, American Street Fighter, which was a lot of fun. I think it was the best movie of the three. Uh, Gerald Okamura was the main villain in that, and Gerald's a wonderful guy. So some of the best things about these movies was, you know, I was learning a lot about choreography, about camera angles, about lighting, about the technical aspects of filmmaking, which was a definite plus for me. And, you know, you meet great people like Gerald Okamura, Richard Robago, and, and David, you know, they were all great people to work with. Butchie, Butchie worked on most of those movies. So uh, that was a really good experience. Funny, 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 funny. So, a teapot. My kid. Did he just bite you? <laughs> My son, the vampire. My son, exactly. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good movie title. Hey, can, keep coming, Tina. My son, <laughs> My son, the vampire. Excessive, well, excessive combat. My son, excessive the vampire. Combat. Is it excessive combat? <laughs> oh, yeah, excessive combat. My contact. Son, the excessive contact. contact. Excessive combat. Well, excessive contact almost sounds like a... Excessive force. Combat's better. Contact sounds like a foreign movie. Excessive contact. <laughs> Shut up. I'm being <laughs> What do you have to say about this now? Okay, so we've left off after full impact. No, actually, we got farther than that, didn't we? Yeah, where did we get up to? Pass, Street Fighter, all those things, yeah. We're, we passed David. We skipped David, now okay. we're on to the next thing. What happened in 1992? 1992 was quite a good year, because... Uh, well, we did Street Fighter in January or February, and then I did this Tom Wilson Die Trying 4, and then I was did... This, uh, okay, we, I know where we left off. We left off after, after the Hong Kong company went bankrupt. Yeah, Okay. That's right. That's right. Hong Kong company. <laughs> so I lost everything that year. Death Touch and... Bad year. And Cinema City Girl. That's when I came back and did the David Dewey movies. Oh, that was that? Okay. Yeah. And then 92... I think it was between the David Dewey movies. But then in 92... Um, yeah, we did American Street Fighter. We did, uh, I got a on Don Wilson's movie, Die Trying. What was it called? Die Trying, Blood Fist. Die War. Trying, and okay. I think to be proud of again. More bad guy part. But then I got offered a movie called Nights, which was being directed by Albert Pierce. Starred Chris Christopherson and Lance Henriksen and Kathy Long. So okay. I was quite excited about working with Lance and Chris Christopherson. But, um, it's funny, on the way out to Utah where we were shooting, I got paged at the airport and uh, 
it turns out Jackie Chan's company had just bought Golden Harvest and asked me if I would work in their movie as a main bad guy. Now, that's a dream come true for me. Yeah. So I said, what are the dates? And the dates conflicted oh, no. with the, the movie I'm going out to shoot now with Albert Pien. So when I got out to, to, to uh, Utah, I told Albert straight away. I mean, they needed me for like three weeks and it was into the second week that I needed to be in Japan. I said, Albert, have you heard of Jackie Chan? He says, of course. I've just been offered a lead bad guy role in one of their movies. Oh, congratulations, Gary. Go on, you gotta go. Well, <laughs> good news, here's bad the situation. news. <laughs> and he said, okay, let me see what we can do. And uh, he kind of rearranged the schedule to get most of my stuff done. That's great. So I was really grateful to Albert. It had to cut some of the stuff out that I would have been in more. And I was asking myself a question, really, am I making a mistake by running off to do a Hong Kong movie where I should be maybe doing this movie with, you know, Knights, you know, it's an American picture, Lance yeah, Henriksen. But I was like, I gotta go. I mean, so, that's anything for your resume. I mean, everybody knows who Jackie Chan yeah. is. Yeah, you know? not just that. It's he's, I've been watching Jackie since I was a kid. I'm a big, he's your big, idol. Big, uh, big fan of Jackie. Bruce Lee was my idol. Bruce big Lee was fan right. of okay, Jackie. Okay, okay. Um, so, I think I remember that day finishing on this, I think it was on a, a Friday night. I finished hopping on and hopping on planning, coming home for a couple of hours and then shooting off to Japan. Shot a couple of weeks there, and then I came home for a couple of weeks, and then went off to Hong what Kong. What was the name of the Jackie Chan? City movie? Hunter. City Hunter. Okay. And uh, it was just that was four months in Hong Kong, so I was shooting for like four and a half months, and That's it was great. just a wonderful experience working with Jackie Chan. And it turns Any good out. Any stories on the set of that? Ah, oh, good stories on the set. Um, no, no, really great. Well, maybe if I go home and think about it, some great stories. But it was just a really good time for me. I had a great time with Richard Norton. He worked oh, on the movie too, too, and it was like the first time I'd known Richard for a while. I'd known of him, and I trained with him a couple of times at the Jet Center, but really never got to know him. Right. But then once I was on the set, I found out he had such a wonderful sense of humor, yeah. and he's a really yeah, he nice really man, does. really a nice real guy. gentleman. So that was yeah, one of the good things about that was uh, meeting Richard. It must be one of the hardest. I mean, over here, you get, you're lucky if you get like three or four takes on moves when you're doing a fight scene, but in, in, a zillion, in huh? City Hunter, I remember my first day I was doing a training scene, Jackie had choreographed for me, and he was shooting it, and I had to do this one kick where my foot had to go in front of the camera, and it was up to like take 27 or take 28, and I'm going, I turned to the director, Wong Jing, and I said, is there something wrong with me? I mean, am I that bad? He said, no, don't worry about it. Sometimes Jackie takes 100 takes because he's a perfectionist. He has to, he has to wow. be like centimeter, millimeter perfect so to cool. kick. Cool. Well, it's nice to have the money to blow that much film, you know? Jeez. That's one of the beautiful things about working in Hong Kong is here they say you've got three hours to do this fight scene or, you know, like four hours to do it. Over there, they just keep shooting and shooting and shooting until they're happy with it. So it could go one day, two days. The end fight I did with Jackie, I think, was like How almost two weeks. How can they afford that? Jackie has the biggest budgets in all Hong Kong movies. Um, he's, they, I, I don't even know if they have a budget. It's just keep going until it's done. It's that kind of attitude. Jackie himself told me. I remember one day on the set, our call time was like 9 in the morning. Jackie didn't show up till 1 o'clock. He did one shot, fell asleep on the tatami mats. And uh, like no one would wake him up. And after like an hour and a half, two hours, the director went, okay, that's a wrap. I was like, this is wild. About, yeah. And then the next day, you know, we were talking to Jackie in, the, in his trailer, and he was saying, I'm very powerful here. Nobody can, he said, I'm too powerful here. Nobody can tell me what to do when I'm Jackie Chan. Nobody would dare wake I said, yeah, nobody would wake you up. He said, yeah, no one can tell me what to do. I have my complete say in what I do. Wow. So that, you know, it was a totally unique experience. Yeah, awesome. But he's a very humble man. Is he? We, uh, when we were shooting on this uh, cruise liner in Japan, we were shooting on the deck. 
and it started raining so we all rushed inside, rain stops, there was a quick shower and we go back up on deck and Jack is up there with a mop and broom sweeping up all the water off the deck and I don't think you'd see many top Hollywood stars doing that, no, you know you what wouldn't. I'm saying? And that, I don't think you would. And when, when people were going to do stunts like high falls, Jack is there preparing the boxes and the mats for them, you know, it's not like he's uh, too egotistical to do that kind of thing and that, that really impressed me about Jackie Chan. So, um, plus he's like, he must be 40 years old when we were doing it in that movie. And he's probably 40 older than that now, obviously this was a couple of years ago. And he's still doing a lot of his own stuff. And just That's some great. incredible physical stuff. So That's great. That was such a cool experience getting to work with Jackie. So then you came back from working with Jackie. And yeah, you... after City Hunter I felt like a big shot. Yeah, I've worked with Jackie Chan, I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was getting some offers in some smaller movies and I just started turning them down. You know, I had a little bit of money in the bank from working from City Hunter. And I just felt, God, you know, I've got this on my resume, I've done some leads, I don't want to do any more small stuff. So I started... Actually, that's very smart. Yeah, so I just started holding out for a while. And, uh, and then some better offers started coming in. And uh, last year, I completed a movie, Fist of the North Star, right. which was the biggest budget movie I've ever done. It was a uh, $5 million budget. Right. And we had Malcolm McDowell, Chris Penn, Costas Mandalore. It's a movie that's based on a very, very popular Japanese comic book, right. and it was a TV series in Japan. And so it was cold following in Japan, so I knew it would do really good for me in Japan. And it came out in Japan this year, did really well. They took me over to promote it, so really helped build up my name again on the Japanese market. And then earlier this year, I did a picture called Rage. Rage, who was that PM? Uh, for PM, but it was a really nice little piece. I really liked the script because for once, I wasn't playing this tough martial arts guy who sort of can fight his way out of every situation. Right. It was more like I'm a school teacher, second grade. Sorry about this. I'm a second grade school. I'll make sure I get this. Yeah, really. I was playing a second grade school teacher with a wife and a kid, and he gets um, unwittingly involved in these government experiments where they're trying to create a soldier by um, kidnapping illegal aliens and taking them to perform these chemical experiments on them. And I get caught up in that program. So it's like a lot of vulnerability to the character. And he's not the type of guy that every time he gets in a crisis, you know he's going to fight his way out, you know? So that's why I took that character. It really gave me a chance to play a totally different character. It's a more acting involved. And I think I only did two fights in the whole movie. Was that more a of a learning experience for you as well? It, it, it was a weird learning experience because I'm always thinking, you know, how much longer martial arts movie is going to be popular. I don't want to make, like most of us, I want to make that transition to the action movie rather than the pure martial arts movie. And in that one, we had these huge, lot of big stunts, um, you know, crashing semi trucks and hanging off of helicopters, hanging off of 350 foot buildings. So obviously, I have a stunt double for certain of these things. And because there's so many of these big stunts in the movie, I found myself sitting in a trailer while my stunt double was doing more work than me. And I'm going, damn, this is the biggest movie I've done with the biggest, baddest stunts, but it's the easiest work for me because I'm so used to coming home at the end of the day so tired from doing martial arts fights. This one only really had two fights. <laughs> so that was a very unusual experience. From doing a lot more acting. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, there was a lot more acting in it for me. From doing 42 fights in a movie with Capital Punishment to doing two in a movie and sitting in a trailer. But, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, gotta commend the stunt guys. I had a wonderful stunt double in that movie. His name was uh, Denny Pierce and fearless guy. 
he got hurt, he got burnt really bad, he got stitches in his head, doubling me, and I was like, this guy was incredible, fearless. And I, what was his last name, Pierce, P-I-E-R-C-E. -E. You know, I really commend these guys for the job they do. You know, they really don't get the credit they deserve. In the industry, they do. Yeah, in the industry, they do, but you know, to the general public. And I think they deserve it. And I hear a lot of big actors saying how they do all their own stunts, and I'm like, there's, there's no way. They won't even let me, a smaller actor, do anything that's gonna injure me. So you know the A-movie guys are never gonna be able to do stuff. And I just finished a movie in uh, Canada called White Tiger, which I feel is my best movie to date. Uh, we had great cast, Carrie Tagawa, who was the main bad guy in Mortal Kombat. T-A-G-A-W-A, Carrie Tagawa. It's Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa is his full name. H-I-R-O-Y-U-K-I, Hiroyuki Tagawa. He was in Rising Sun with Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes, and then he was the main bad guy in Mortal Kombat, which really helps us because yeah. had a great opening week, you know. Matt Craven was in the movie, he was in so Crimson. I just heard yesterday, I don't I don't know if you should quote me yet, but the producer called me yesterday and said, Gary, we just locked in a nationwide theatrical deal for White Tiger. He said we're ninety percent close to closing it. He said to me that's it, he said to me Yeah, and he said to me, you know, Gary, I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't gonna happen. So be prepared for this big promotional tour and I'm like Finally, something theatrical. That's great. Because everyone thought Fist of the North Star was going to be the big theatrical break for me because we had the good names, you know, Chris Penn, Malcolm McDowell, Costas Mandalore, Melvin Van Peebles. It's very violent. The Japanese comic book is a super violent, graphically violent. Heads exploding, fingers stuck into chests up to the yeah, knuckles. Yeah, so I think they're having a hard time because there's a lot of blood and a lot of violence. It really appeals. It's sold worldwide. I mean, theatrical in Japan. It's got a theatrical in a lot of countries. And England. I, don't, I think they're going to have a hard time with it too because they're major on censorship. I mean, it's okay. I see a lot of these big studio pictures where you see a lot of violence yeah. and stuff, and it's like, wow, they can Why get away with it. With, yeah. But with an independent, you know, I just saw El, not El Mariachi, um, what's yeah. the new one with uh, Antonio Banderas? Right. Desperado. Desperado. And there's a lot of blood and guts and shooting up in that, but it's like it's a studio picture, so, so they can get away with it, and we can. But so I'm, I'm, you know, if White Tiger does get this theatrical release, it's, I'm trying not to get my hopes up, it's happened before. And your character in that was? Okay, I play a, a DEA agent called Mike Ryan. Mike what? Mike Ryan. R-Y-A-N? Yeah. If I tell you the outline in two lines, it's going to sound like a very basic story. My partner has a family, we go on a mission, he gets killed, I revenge him. Right. But there's a lot more to it. Right. Uh, Julian Nixon in the movie. And... Uh, Julian Nixon was in Rambo 2, she was in China Cry, Noble House, she was recently in Sidekicks with Chuck Norris. Spell her last name? N-I-C-K-S-O-N, Julia Nixon. Okay. And, uh, you know, Kara's character, he plays a, a Hong Kong Chinese uh, who is part of a triad group, and he, there's elders and there's rules he's supposed to abide by. But he breaks away to make this drug of his own. And the elders send this assassin, Julian Nixon, to kill Carrie, but she really doesn't want to do it. So she tries to use me to kill him. And uh, there's a lot of twists and turns in it. And it's a really good movie. And it's the I know it's the best acting I've ever done. And it's got a lot of action, martial arts, and gun action. You know, so did you do a lot of your own stunts in this one? I did everything. I had a stunt double, but it wasn't so much for stunts. There was one stunt he did at the end where he dived off a ship which was exploding. 
But other than that, it really didn't double me for dangerous things, just stuff that second unit needed to be doing while I was doing first unit. So obviously, I've never been doubled for fights, all that, obviously that kind of stuff would be my own. But initially, let me like roll and hit windows, break through windows and do all that, that kind of cool stuff on my, I fought for it, you know. <laughs> you don't want to take work away from stuntmen, but you know, you have a little bit of pride, you're an action guy, you stay in shape. And I know there's some things that I can do, and even if a double does it, He's not going to have the same way of moving as I am. But unfortunately on certain shooting schedules, if a second unit is working at the same time as first unit, you can't be in two places at the same time. But uh, you know what I liked about it is was they let me act. They gave me a lot of dialogue. But a lot of times I'm not allowed to do a lot of dialogue because I have an accent or they don't believe I can act. Is an okay accent? Uh, I've been asked a lot of times to lose my accent. I've taken tons of speech classes. And a lot of people now don't know what I am. You know, I'm English. You don't but, sound English. Right. You sound something else. A lot of people think I'm Australian, but no, I'm, I'm English and I'm proud of it. And I think that's one of the reasons I've had a hard, hard time losing my accent is because subconsciously I really don't want to. <laughs> but I did it for a long time just because when you're trying to fit in in Hollywood, you know, if you're reading for a small part in a big movie... You know, sometimes it's better not to fit in, you know? Well, I, I have always said that because I've believed I, in I myself. And if you look at a lot of the big names in Hollywood, they have very distinctive voices. Arnold has his accent. Jean-Claude has his accent. Stallone has a very... Uh, you won't see them being a five-and-a-day player, but there's something better, so, you know, so I've always, take your pick. Exactly. So I've always hoped that, you know, something will come of that. So if it can make anything that can make me stand out from the other million or two million actors working in this town, you know. Exactly. So That's great. So um, what, you have something upcoming in Canada? Uh, I'm gonna can be you talk about that? Yeah. Um, it's untitled right now because I asked them to change their original title. I didn't like it, so they accommodated me and they're changing the title. Um, I'm shooting in October and November up in Montreal. It's for a company called Cinepix Film Industries. Um, they just done a couple of movies with Michael Caine for Showtime. They're a pretty good company. They they had a picture that won awards at the Montreal Film Festival. And it's a company that... And the Monte Carlo Film Festival. And it's a company that just had their own theatrical outlet here now. They're a theatrical arm in the States. So they're doing really well. They distribute all of Miramax's pictures. So, um, yeah, it's... Um, the story, basically, it's about... My stepbrother was a Marine, and I'm kind of the equivalent of a Marine in England. And my brother then becomes a cop, and he's investigating a case where there's a lot of Asians going missing. And he investigates it, and he gets killed. So I come over here to try and find out what happened to my stepbrother. And it turns out there's a main bad guy who's using skinheads. Um, yeah, I'm the good guy. You've got that good guy look. <laughs> I've had so many looks over the years. It's funny, like every time... You do have that good guy now with the hair like... Now with the hair and everything. It's been, it's been weird because, like, every time I've done a movie, my looks changed afterwards. When I had really long blonde hair, I'd do a movie. And then by the time it comes out, I've dyed my hair brown for another movie, or now it's blonde again. So you very rarely get that much recognition, you know, because <laughs> people don't recognize you. But things are going really good, I can't complain. It's the okay. best time of my year. Um, okay, now I want to ask you some opinion kind of a stuff. Oh, bad part. <laughs> oh. Right? Everybody always does that to me. That's the good part. Okay. That's the good part. Um, what I'd like to know is, we touched on this a little bit earlier, the commercialism that is really has infiltrated the world of martial arts. Uh, what is the most offensive thing about that to you and why? Offensive? Yeah, what bothers you about that? 
like, you know, why do you foresee it as a problem or something that it's, it shouldn't be? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. It, it sort of perturbs me that you see a lot of people getting black belts today that I really don't think by watching their performances I don't think they deserve black belts right. but then everyone's going to say like who are you to judge me you know so it's, it's, it's just a very it's not judging though that's, that's not what I'm after I'm not asking you to judge these people I'm, I'm, like, like how you said earlier the, these schools feel like if they don't give the kid the black yeah. belt they're not going to have the income sure. because the kid will stop coming or... but you know a lot, a lot of it is about you, you can only relate things to your own personal experiences I came to America and I looked around a lot of karate schools here and I see karate schools where they have nice plush carpets on the floor and this kind of thing and I'm like god is this what martial arts is about I mean just personally growing up in England it's very cold we train in these old church halls a lot of the time where it's very cold hardwood or concrete floors and it was very strict and, and to me I don't know I, I kind of see that's where martial arts the, a lot of the um, perfection in martial arts comes from hardship you really have to go hardship because it's not just a physical process it's a mental process and and it's martial arts knocks out a lot of it should be knocking out a lot of egos and a lot of hang ups it's not just about fighting so when I see you know a lot of these kids and a lot of people training on these nice carpets and uh, in England we were well, you know our, our uniform had to be worn in a specific way it's very plain very basic and now you see all these in America you see a lot of colored uniforms and they can put whatever badges they want on their uniforms you know it's very different than what I was raised doing but who am I to say and my way is right and their way, this way is wrong. I, I really shouldn't. Just because it's different, it doesn't mean it's, it's right or wrong. So, but, it's, it's, but don't you think that that's a little far removed from where its origins are? That's what I like to do. When I move to a new area, I like to go around martial arts schools and look and look and look and see what the teacher's teaching and see how far it's really come from the true path of what I think martial arts was originated for, self-defense. Right. You know, for fighting, for survival. And I you see so much flashy stuff, and I see a lot of forms being done with all these pretty neat movements and fast things, but half of this stuff it really isn't going to help you in, in a self-defense situation. A lot of the stuff. There's very few schools. It's like kickboxing, for instance. A lot of people say kickboxing is just a sport. It's not a martial art. It's just a sport. And I totally disagree with that, because when you're in a ring kickboxing, you learn what techniques are going to help you for real. Yeah. Anything that doesn't work isn't going to work in the you're ring. Gonna you're going to get knocked out. And when you're in a ring, there is somebody trying to knock you out or break your leg with a shin kick. But most schools, a lot of schools, you know, do the way it's set up in the dojo is such a controlled situation. No one ever really gets hurt. No one's ever really trying to break your leg or knock you out or take your head off. It's so it's like, so how do you really know what's going to help you if you ever have to use it in a street situation? You don't know because you've never been tested. And I feel that you will react the way you train. You will react to a situation the way you train. Sure. If you train like that, you don't know how you're going to react, but if you get in there, if, when you kickboxing, you know, you train full out. There's no pulling your punches. You're hitting the bags or you're sparring with your opponents. You're going all the way out, and that's how you're going to react in a fight, and I think that's what you need in a fight. And you learn to react under pressure in a kickboxing ring. Man, you get pushed up against the rope and somebody hammering you, hammering you. You're going to learn to react under that mentally and physically. But in a lot of the scores where you're sparring with tons of pads on and it's just little tap-taps, you know, you know, you do you do a block, but you don't really need to do a block. What are you going to do if you're fighting somebody who's got a rock hard chin and he rifles in a kick and you, you break your arm if you block it in a certain way? Yeah. So I hear, I hear a lot of people saying that kickboxing is not a real martial art. How many people today really train with the aspect of what is going to really, really help me? Yeah. yeah. I hear you. Okay. Well, anything else you want to add? Baby, <laughs> talking to the microphone, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Malibu Comics 
were creating this what they called an ultraverse of new Malibu, characters. M-A-L-I-B-U? Yeah, Malibu Comics. Okay. So they've been bought out by Marvel now. Oh, okay. But they they created this what they called an ultraverse. It's a whole new, a different world of these different characters, super, superhero super characters. Right. And they the first one they created was called the Hard Case. And to promote the release of the comic book, they wanted to shoot a live action, find a live action version of Hard Case and shoot a promo on video, which they would send out to all the comic book stores worldwide to promote the upcoming comic book. So they picked me to play Hard Case. And we shot a really nice promo reel for Hard Case. All five seconds. Awesome, mm-hmm. where, where in your life was this? This was in 1992. Bad year. No, 1993. Good year. After, this is what I did right after, the next thing I did after, the next thing I did after City Hunter from coming back. Oh, this week. That was in 1992. The okay. first thing I did in 1993 was a movie called Firepower with Chad McQueen, where I played the second lead and Chad was the, the bill, top billing. But um, while we were shooting it, I got offered Hard Case. So on my days off, I would shoot this Hard Case thing. It was a wonderful promo reel. The whole production value in Hard Case was better than the whole movie of of Firepower. (laughs) And it was directed by this young guy who's done a lot of MTV videos called Darren Doan. Really good director. Somebody that I've really been trying to push with different companies with PM and other people. Really got a... He's very... I don't want to say John Woo because he doesn't copy John Woo, but he very much has his own stuff. Doan, D-O-A-N-E. Darren Doan. He's a wonderful young dude. He's only like 21 years old when he did when he did uh, Hard Case. Very innovative. Got all his own ideas. Great. I mean, he tried to introduce him to a couple of companies. They don't see it in the tape in his Actually, demo no, tape. I have a question. Did you get to keep the costume at the end of the And if so, when do you wear it now? <laughs> what kind, yeah, well, was it a superhero costume? Yeah, it was really bad. It was like it was like a leotard. Yeah. It's like, Gary, come to bed. I don't want a minute, darling. Let me get the phone box. I hate it when they don't put in um, an area code. Really? Did you get the No, I didn't. Thank God. It's funny. At the end of the promo road, I had to wear the, this comic book hero's costume. It's like these fake chains it's around really my wrist. True. And it's like a black leotard. And it looks so gay. I said, there's no way you're going to shoot me standing up. So I like knelt down in one of these. Yes, yes. <laughs> well said. At the end of the video. Because it's like your old packed lunch was hanging out there. Exactly. Packed lunch. painted a gentleman. And the old stunt sock in there. You know? no, no, stunt sock? Yeah, go ahead and your stunt sock. stick it down there to make yourself look more. You've seen Spinal Tap. Yeah, the cucumber. I love that movie. I love that movie. Can you explain to me why would the cucumber set off the alarm again? Just for, I always like to say this to anyone out there who's just, um, I just like to say that you can do whatever you want to do in your life if you really believe in yourself. Don't listen to people. There's always going to be people in life that say you can't make it for this reason or you can't make it for that reason. I was told it in martial arts and I was told it in an acting career. But I really think if you believe in yourself 100%, go for your goals. Don't ever let anybody tell you, no, you can't do it. As long as you're doing something which isn't going to hurt people, you know. Absolutely. As long as you're not robbing banks. There you go. Yeah, if that's your goal, then forget it. Then forget it. Get a life. Yeah, but really. I hear you. That's it. That's it? Okay. Thank you. Thank you.